This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. Praise the Lord. It took a miracle. Will you bow your heads with me as I pray? Loving God, we're just thankful for another opportunity to use the oxygen, the breath that you have placed in our nostrils to give you praise. Oh, how often, dear God, we inhale and exhale and take it for granted. And then we take this breath that you, you have given to us, the energy that you have stored in our body, and we do evil. We ask in you, dear God, to have mercy upon us. As your word is proclaimed this morning, let somebody hear Jesus speaking. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you will touch their hearts and minds. Take full control. We thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me see the hands of those who had a rough week this week, this past week. Rough week. Don't be afraid. If you had a rough week, you had a rough week. Praise the Lord for your honesty. Because you know, the reality is we do have rough weeks. And the Bible says, the Bible says, all those who live godly must have rough weeks. Because it says that we will suffer persecution. So don't think because you're a Christian and you're worshiping God that all will be well. No, that will not happen. 425, the hymn that was just sang. I love the hymn. It is actually my favorite hymn in the hymnal. There is singing up in heaven. Such as we have never known because we have never been there. I'm having a little problem. My problem is with the church. It is often that we speak about heaven as though it is not a real place. But some of us sit in front of a TV and we watch a movie knowing that folks are acting and you're crying. As though it's real. And in some cases you get mad. How can he do that to her? They should put him in prison. This is a movie. You know it's fake, but you're getting emotional. But as soon as we come here talking about heaven, you see to think that it is an illusion. It is not real. And we downplay it. We speak less about it. Is heaven real or is it fake? The question is, do you want to go there? So this morning, I'll be preaching to you from the, the chapter of the book, Revelation 19. It's a prophetic word, and I'm going to make it relevant in Jesus' name. Because the reality is we're living in some serious time. You don't have to look at the news. You can look at Facebook and you realize it's a serious time. Check the tweets and you recognize that we're living in some serious times. As I, as, as I grip throughout this week what was happening throughout the planet, the song came to my mind, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of this terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. God's truth is marching on. I've come by here to let you know that Jesus is still truthful. His word still stands. Whether you keep it or not, God will still be God and he will still sit as sovereign of this universe. I'm preaching to you this morning from the topic, praise him 
again. Praise him again. The Bible reads this way in Revelation chapter 19. If you would turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to read from verses 1. And I'll be stopping at verse number 7. Verse number 7. Revelation chapter 19. And I'll read to you from the New American Standard Bible. It reads this way. After these things... I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belongs to our God because his judgment are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservant on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small. And then I heard something like a voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peal of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Last verse, it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. His bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? So we are the bride. The question is, are you ready? If I ask this question, you don't have to raise your hands. All those right here, you don't have to raise your hands, that believes if they die right now, they'll go to heaven. When Jesus comes, many of you will be reluctant to raise your hand. And there's a reason for that. Because in one breath you say you're a Christian, but you really don't believe it. You say you're a Christian, but you don't act like it. You say you are a follower of Christ, but you don't love like Christ loves. But you're a Christian. And it comes down to many of us are really hypocrites. Because a hypocrite really is saying something and declaring that you are someone that you're really not. Am I correct by saying that? I know it's not a message that you really want to hear. You want me to just say that you will be alright. But I'm saying to you, you will be alright if you're in Jesus. Because Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Suggesting that if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're already condemned. So here, Revelation. John on the Isle of Patmos, a man that was banished, a prisoner, if you please, wrote what God told him to write down. And he starts Revelation 19 like this. After these things, what things? How can you start a chapter like that after these things? What are you talking about? Now, there's something you've got to understand about the New Testament. The Greek was not written in chapter form. So it was a continuation. They wrote from Matthew all the way to Revelation. Just keep writing because each book was written as a sum, as a whole. So the story continues after these things. And if you want to know what the after is, we've got to go where? We've got to go where? The word after means what? That something comes before it. So we've got to go back. What happened before it? You see, in verse 17, 
And verse 18, it speaks of a woman, a woman that they call a prostitute. If you know anything about a prostitute, the Bible uses the word harlot, is that she sleeps around, sleeps around. Talking about a relevant word. She sleeps around. And Jesus is determined to destroy this prostitute. I want to talk to you this morning. This woman slept around with all sorts of kings, all sorts of theology. She worshipped anything. Her worship was not to God. It was blasphemy because she was not true to the living God. And the question you've got to ask yourself this morning, are you being true to God? Are you receiving teachings and practicing things that are not of God? And if that's the case, you can consider yourself to be a part of this church or a part of this woman who have not been true to God. It is a hard message, but it is one that has to be preached. Because if you don't get your life together, destruction is imminent. Heaven is real. And those who are faithful to God, they are going there. But those who are not will be destroyed. That's a message of love. This morning we were speaking in our lesson study about love. And somehow many of us think that being in love with somebody, you've got to tap them on their back when they're in wrong. No, love comes with a word that is known as accountability. The word is not condemnation, it's accountability. It is done differently. Condemnation is you writing somebody off. Accountability is you holding them accountable for the wrong that they have done. So you can't be my friend and I can't tell you when you're wrong. We're not friends. We're not friends. That's a fake friendship. But if you're my friend, I should be able to say to you, hey, sis, that's a bad decision. That's a bad decision. If you're drinking, no. You're smoking, no. You're sleeping around, no. I should be able to say to you. Because you see, in today's world, it, 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 it is lacking authentic friendship, authentic relationship. So look at this. Most of us in the church today, we don't even trust the person that we're sitting next to. We really don't. If I can be honest with you, you trust the chair that you're sitting on more than the person that you, you, that's next to you. Am I lying? Because many of us come in here, I see everybody that walked in, and when you sit down, you never check the chair to see if it holds up. You just sit down because you trust that that chair is going to hold you up. Am I correct by saying that? So you walk in here with a, a degree of trust for a chair, but you would not trust that person that is sitting next to you. Is there something wrong with that? Why are we always on the edge, worried about if somebody's out to get me? She's going to talk my business. He is not genuine. He's not real. Why are we living in fear? The Bible says that God did not give us, give it, gives us a spirit of fear. But we live like that. So John says to them, John says to them, listen, listen. After all these things, I saw an angel in chapter 18, coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. So if 18 says after these things, we've got to do what? Anybody? We've got to go back. So chapter 17, the Bible says, Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, This is what he said to John, Come here. And I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. So it starts in chapter 17. What's in chapter 17? The judgment, the destruction. What is going to happen to this wicked woman? 
Now, there's something that you need to understand. This church started pure and started good and started right, started worshiping God. They were following Jesus. This was the church that started and believed everything that God taught and preached. But after years with mingling with the world and compromising, they started looking dirty. The robe was now filled with all sorts of things. Why? Because they have let anything come in. They have come to a point that they were receiving from the outside what God never ordained. So the woman, which represents church, this harlot is a false way of worship. False way of worship. So John says, going back to 19, 17 and 18 gives us a full context. It says, after these things, then a loud voice from a great multitude in heaven shouted, hallelujah. Now, this word, hallelujah, is only used four times in the whole New Testament. Four times. And it's only used in chapter 19 of Revelation. And I said to myself, why would you use a word this powerful four times in the whole New Testament? It's explain to you what was happening. In the book of Revelation, people were being persecuted on a regular basis. Folks who were dying and family members of folks who were dying, they were, they were really scared. The book of Revelation was not written so that people would become fearful. It was written so that people would be hopeful. It was a message of comfort. Don't be fearful. The God that you serve is going to destroy this wicked system soon and very soon. Many of you today have been bruised and battered. I asked you this morning. Let me see who all had a rough week. And many of you raise your hands. And I'm saying to you, there is coming a time when God is going to put all that to rest. That is what we're looking for. That is what we live for. That time when death will not affect us anymore. We will never be tired again. We don't even know what a headache is when we get there. We would be so full of joy and happiness. We will have no other choice but to exclaim, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belongs to you, dear God. And you realize that you don't have to worry about losing friendships anymore. You don't have to worry about fake friends anymore. You don't, worry to, you don't have to worry about abusive parents anymore. You don't have to worry about people talking you down instead of lifting you up anymore. You don't have to worry about the person that is so quick to judge you when you make a wrong decision, but not quick to lift you up when you make a right one. You would not have to worry anymore because God is going to come to take us out of this mess. After these things, he says, after the woman is destroyed, after that false worship is, is, is done away with, the heavens burst into a party, a great celebration. Because let me say this to you. This is a prophetic word, future. Heaven is right now watching all of us. And they see that it's so hard for us to make it because there's so much evil in this world. I'm going to say this. I'm going to be... Real careful, but I want to say it. The Spirit is really prompting me to say it. The worst thing, let me say this. I believe this, I believe, this is me. I believe that it was a setup from Satan to place the Bible on a cell phone. Don't take it for granted. How many of you really study the Bible when you're on the phone? You just take that Bible up and all of a sudden you get a text. And you forget that you were studying God's word. You see this? This? You've got to put that cell phone aside and listen. Listen, read this. Many of us are literally handicapped in God's word. We don't even know what we believe anymore. A person can say, come in here and speak, all fail. 
but they just wrapped it in some nice wrapper and you're like, amen, and you don't even know what they're saying. I have two degrees, and I sure had to study to get these exams correct, which suggests I had to do some work so that when I get the test, I'm not dumbfounded. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said to Timothy, listen, there is coming a time when men will not put up with sound doctrines anymore. All of a sudden, we don't want to hear nothing but doctrine. doctrines again. You wouldn't even know who Jesus is if you didn't have doctrines. But all of a sudden, we want to hear everything else but what Jesus taught us. And we start letting some stuff seep in that we really don't understand. And then folks is asking us to do things that really God didn't ask us to do. And what happens, you find yourself working hard to get salvation when it's something free. But if you didn't know, we have a doctrine of salvation. So you'll understand that you didn't have to work for it. You understand what I'm saying? It's a free gift. But no, we don't want doctrine. This is what Paul says to, Pete, to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, you can quote me. He says, men will not want to hear doctrines anymore. And he says, they're going to believe a lie as though it's truth. Can you imagine that? That's what Paul said to Timothy years ago, and it's being lived out today. The mess that I see some people talking about, this is what Jesus says, because you've never read your Bible before. So Isaiah said, to the law and to the testimonies, if they speak not, there is no light in them. This is what Isaiah is saying, satanic, because if you're in darkness, that means you're in Satan. It's, it's time for us to do what? Call black and white clear. There need to be a clear line. This is Jesus and this is Satan. No, there's no middle line. There is no middle ground. You are either for God or you're against him. But many of us are saying, no, I'm not really for God, but no, I'm not really done with Satan. I'm just here standing. I'm just chilling. I'm just relaxing. Let me tell you, if you're not for God, you're for Satan. And let me tell you how Satan does. In Revelation, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, I stand at the door and I knock. You see, a person that knocks has manners. You understand? They have manners. I respect your space. That's what love does. They respect you. But when Satan comes in, he just kicks that door down. Because if Jesus is not in there, who's protecting this place? You don't have no control. I have some friends that will say, I will never, ever do that. Never do that. But they're not with Jesus. And they're doing worse than the things that they say that they will never do. I'm telling you, the only thing that is keeping some of us is the mercies of God. Even though you're not faithful to him. Because that's how loving God is. He's saying, listen, I want you to come. While you're yet sinners, Christ died for you, Romans chapter 5 says. While you're in your mess, Christ is saying, listen, I want you to know this is what genuine love looks like. But you're up in here partying and drinking with the devil. And you think that he's loyal? The devil comes to only do two things, to steal, to kill, and destroy. So the Bible, the Bible gives a call in Revelation 18, 20 to, to go with 19, chapter 19. It says, rejoice, rejoice over her, O heavens. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Thus the heavens and all the hosts thereof shout aloud to God, hallelujah, because God has destroyed their enemy. So here is it. God says to these people, I'm going to destroy her. There's something you need to understand with this text. In verse 2, it says, because his judgments are true and righteous. I'm going to read it from the screen so that you see it here. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and has avenged the blood of his servants 
at her hand. There's something I want to say here, because we were talking about this this morning, condemnation and judging and um, redemption and bringing people back. When God spoke of his judgment, he was speaking about whom? The whore, right? The prostitute. In chapter 15, I'll read it for you. In chapter 15, verse 3, there were some harpers harping, and they sang the song of Moses. The Bible says, and I saw, verse 2, 15, 2, chapter 15, 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang a song of Moses and the servant. And of his servant, they sang a song of Moses and the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, you King of saints. Just and true are your what? Just and true are your ways. Go to Revelation 16, 7. Now remember this, just and true are your what? Remember, just and true are your ways. Revelation 16, 7. So here is it in 15.3. In, in it says, just and true are your ways. Let's go to 16.7. Chapter 16, and I'm at 7. It says, and I heard another out of the altar say, even so, Lord God Almighty, just and righteous are your what? Judgments. Why the change of the word from ways to judgment? Let's go to, ch to chapter 19. Chapter 19 and verse 2. I just want you to see it. 19.2 says, for true and Righteous are your, his judgment. So in first, it was saying just and true, which is righteous, are your ways in 15.3. So when we're sitting, when we're standing on the sea of glass with our harps, we, because I'm including myself in that because I am going to heaven. I am not standing around here worshiping Satan and having to go through all this mess and still go to hell. I'm going to heaven. So I'm going to be on that sea of glass. Jesus promised me it, and I'm claiming it. So when I'm standing with my harp, I'm now saying, just and true are your ways. There's something you've got to understand. When God judges, judgment is for the wicked. But when he saves, saving or salvation is for the righteous. Watch this. We are quick to judge and not quick to redeem. But God says, when I'm dealing with my people, I deal with true and just ways. When I deal with the wicked, it is true and just judgment. Let me say something to you. When God deals with his people, he doesn't deal with them halfway. In Judges, you know what a judge is for, right? Anybody knows what a judge is for? A judge? To bring justice. What does that mean? Because what we see a judge is today, it is not what God's judgment is about for his people. You see, a judge today is there to condemn, to sentence, to send you to or to that's what a judge does. But you see, when God pronounced judgment or his acts upon his people, this is what he does. He is doing it for saving. Oh, what do I mean? What do I mean? The book of Judges, we remember Judges. The Bible says in, verse two, verse, in, in chapter 2, verse 16, now he don't have them, so he's doing well. I want to really commend my brother back here. He's doing real well. Judges chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. What did he raise up? And what was the judge's job? Which delivered them out of the hands of, the, that of those that spoiled them. Go to verse 18. Judges. And when the Lord raised them up judges, 
Then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. You see, when God judges us, he is trying to save. See, God's judgment is a saving judgment. That's for his people. In other words, God don't judge us. He just pronounces acts of salvation to deliver us. Deliver me from evil is what the Lord's prayer says. His judgment, what we know as judgment, when it comes to God's people is to deliver. But when it comes to the wicked, his judgment is executed to destroy. Let me say this. God's judgment for righteous is to deliver. And his judgment for the wicked is to destroy. The question you've got to find out is, are you with the righteous or are you with the wicked? Are you righteous or wicked? It is something that you've got to come get clear in your head. So when he gets to Revelation 19, he says, true and just are your judgment. Why? Because God is consistent. One thing for sure, he's always true and he's always just. He's always true and he's always righteous. I'm trying to take my time here because this is a teaching message and not a hot message. It is to get you to think. You don't have to worry about being happy. You're going to be happy soon. God is going to wipe away all these things. But I need you to know right now we're about to enter into a time frame when persecution will be real. You see, you don't really hear much about it now. It seems like our people are, are forgetting to, pre to preach about these things. But I want to let you know that love comes with rebuke and it also comes with redemption. So yes, I have a son that's two years old and I love him to death. But don't think he's not going to get a spanking. He's surely going to get a spanking. And I spank him because I love him. I don't beat him because I hate him. He gets a spanking because I love him. But many of you don't want a spanking from God. You just want to do all wrong. And God just sits and says, oh, wonderful, sonny boy. Am I lying? You think when my mother beat me, I loved it? But no, I can say, praise God. Because I could have been locked up in a prison somewhere. Praise the Lord for a little rebuke sometimes. But let me say this to you. When you're about to rebuke, don't come with that condemnation stuff. Some of us are going to have to learn to do like Jesus. Come and just throw our hands around you. I want to say, sister, I love you, you know. You know, but what you just said was not really right. It was really not nice. It's just how we do things. Some of us have so much rage. Blot them out. Shut the door. Don't let them back. That's not how Jesus is. This morning we were just talking the lesson study with our elder Elias. He said, listen, Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, she was sinning. Listen, she was wrong. And he said, where are thy accusers? Neither do I accuse you. But watch this. This is it. Stop sinning. You see, we've been presenting Jesus as this weakling for so long. The folks are like, that's your God? So revelation comes and it says, feet are like bronze. His ear here is like wool. He's a total different looking being. He's coming with power and strength and glory and honor. He's coming with his deliverance for his people. So Revelation, in chapter 19, the Bible says this. True and just are your ways. God, you are consistent. You are consistent. And he says, listen, your judgment is for the wicked and not for the saints. Your judgment is for the wicked and not for the saints. For years growing up, as soon as I heard judgment, I was shaking in my boots. Because I pictured myself in judgment standing down there. And the three, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is up here and saying, so tell me, Delvin, what have you done so that you can, you can gain heaven? And I'm there thinking, God, I used to, when I was young, 
take water for older folks. I used to help out, clean people's yards. And I'm just thinking about all kind of stuff that I'm doing. And then I start saying, what? I haven't done enough. So I start looking for things to do now so that I can earn salvation. And for years, I see myself down there. It's like, who is with me? But I'm there by myself. And the three is just up there waiting to say what? Enter in. Or, or we have these, 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 these mindset that we're going to get to the pearly gates. And I hear jokes about it even in God's church, confusing people, that St. Peter will be there waiting and check to see if your name is on the books. Listen, Peter needs to know if his name is on the books. He don't hold the books. How does he know what's in the book? And we have that mindset that we're going to get to the gates. We have to prove to God that we deserve being there. But no, there's one named Jesus. And while Jesus is here with us, we've got to claim him as our Lord and Savior. In John chapter 5 verse 22, the Bible says that God the Father judges no one, but he has commended all judgment to the Son. Which suggests that if the Son is my Savior, he'll be right there with me while standing up here all at the same time. And when he asks, what have Delvin done? All I've got to plead is the blood of Jesus Christ. For they overcome him by the blood of and by the word of their testimony. Hallelujah to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Who are you overcoming with? Tell me, who are you overcoming with? Because God is going to destroy this wicked system. The Bible says he's going to draw his remnant and these will follow him wherever he goeth. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. The Bible says that the cry of those martyrs from Abel downward, is calling for the head of the harlot. They're crying from the grave. So John says in Revelation chapter 19, that God is going to deal with this beast and the image and this false worship. God's going to deal with them because God is one that protects his children. Remember the Inquisition? Remember how many people died because they decided to follow solar scriptura? Pretend all you want, it's coming again. Because you know what man's problem is? Men always want praise and worship. We don't want gratitude. We don't just want to thank you. No, you've got to speak about me a little bit more up there so people know who I am and what I've done. And the Sabbath school lesson um, teacher this morning said, what's your motive? I think one of the, 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 the members in the class asked, what's your motive for doing what you're doing? Are you doing it for good? Are you doing it for Christ? Or are you doing it for self-recognition? When I was at Oakwood, I heard a sermon, never left me. It says, not everything good is godly. So don't think because you're given, that means you're spiritual. Because Jesus said, look at all these rich guys dropping into there, dropping, dropping out of their gain. And this woman bought just two copper coins. She dropped it in, and Jesus said, she has given the most. You see, we're worried about man's ordeal. What men think about us. What can they say about us? Are you understanding that a time is going to come when we can't work? So, so who are we going to depend on then? And if you're not accustomed to depend on Jesus now, do you think you're just going to automatically shift? Many of us will take the mark of the beast. Give me. I just need to buy a Subway sandwich. Let me be able to shop and get something to eat. When the church called for prayer and fast, there's a scattered people in here because we always want to eat. But remember, we're saying that we're in love with Jesus. The church says, come, let's pray and fast so that you can get a stronger relationship with Jesus. And you're like, no, we have just cooked at home. 
So when the time comes when you've got to depend on Jesus and Jesus only for your bread and water, do you really think that you will not take that mark? Do you think it's just some miraculous thing that's going to happen? Our brain don't work like that. We're going to give in because we have not said to God up until this day that God, I will follow you wherever you go. The love of God is holding out for you. Will you come? Will you come? I know it's not an easy message, but it shouldn't be easy. I've been married for 10 years, and I can tell you I'm in love, but it's a hard thing. So you think just coming into the church is going to be easy? I've got to be intentional every day with my wife. And it's the same way I've got to be intentional every day with Jesus. My sister said if she don't get up and, and worship God in the morning, the day goes bad. I'm saying to you, not just in the morning. But even on your job with that wicked boss that would never give you a raise, you've got to start praying more often. Consistently. Paul says pray without, fat, uh, without ceasing. You don't have to get on your knees. You can be right at that desk at that computer. And pause for five minutes and said, Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me or whither, shall I go? God, I need you in this place. Somebody cross your desk and is like, what's going on with you, Margaret? I'm just taking a praise break. Is that okay? Well, many of us are so righteous in church, but then as soon as we catch you on your job, folk don't even know you're a Christian. I'm speaking from experience. I went to high school, and I go to church every Saturday, Wednesday night, and Sunday night. Yes, we had church Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Sabbath. And I was there every time. But I was bad in school. To this day, when folks hear that I'm a pastor, they're like, you are pastor? How did that happen? Well, it's a perfect opportunity for me to let them know the power of Jesus is mighty to save. You understand? Testify every time you get a chance. What are you praising for? I'm praising God for what I have not gotten as yet. What? That's what faith looks like. You've got to do that on your job. Because brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, your time is coming, you're going to lose a job anyways. I'm not asking you to be weird on your job or act strange. So folks can't walk up to ask you a question because you're always like this. I'm talking about just being naturally in Jesus. And that's why sometimes, Elder, we just got to take the church sometimes out and have church in the wilderness so they know what it's like to have church outside the walls. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you just got to take the church to a park. Brethren, we're going to be worshiping in the park today. And we can say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have created all this. I mean, it's good for them anyways because it's good for the oxygen. The outside is good. But I'm saying at the end of the day, God is calling for his people to, uh, to make a clear-cut allegiance with him. Who are you aligning yourself with? As I come to a close, I remember the children of Israel as they turned to God and said, God, give us a king. And I thought they would have stayed there, but they continued to say like the other nations have. You see, we saw covetousness, but I saw apostasy. Because, you see, when you are king in another nation, you are considered deity. You call the shots. They worship their kings. So when you ask for a king like the other nations, you're asking for that system. Do I need to go through Israel's kingship for you to know what they brought Israel, the Israelites to? I'm telling you, if you just read Isaiah and Jeremiah, you would be surprised. It's like, this is God's people? God is coming again. So after the wickedness was destroyed, 24 elders, think about this. I just want you to see the scene. This is the throne of God. This is the throne of God, if you want to put it up here. 
But God is so loving, he always wants to be amongst his people. He's not trying to lord over you. He's trying to love you. So think about the throne of God down there with you. And God's throne is right here. Let me stand aside because I don't want to get, get the wrong impression. This is God's throne. And you have 24 elders around him. And then you have four living creatures. We're still trying to understand the description, but they were there. And when the prophecy came through that the wicked woman that has been destroying God's people has been destroyed, these guys couldn't stay seated anymore. They got off their seat and they fell prostrate in front of God, face down, face down. And they said this, Amen, Hallelujah. The word Amen means so let it be. And the word hallelujah means praise ye Yahweh or praise Yahweh. So let's put it in, in context. They fell down on their faces and they said, so let it be. Praise Yahweh for destroying this wickedness. Some of you are struggling today. You have it hard. And God has already promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised that he's going to be with you no matter what. He's promised that he's going to be your salvation, your deliverance. He promised that he's going to be your glory. And he's promised that he's going to be your power, his mighty acts. He has promised it. And it's going to happen. You see, today we're working. We all have jobs. And some of us who don't have a job, have a job because we're home doing something. Because sometimes we think that once you're a stay-at-home mom, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom, that's all you do? Man, that is a... <laughs> Let me tell you this. We need to just commend women that stay at home with these kids. That's a job that no one can really do that is in their right mind. They need divine power to do that. Am I lying? We have to just say what it is. So don't say because you're a stay-at-home mom that everything should be okay. The work is real. And I stayed one day with my son. My wife went away for a weekend. I stayed. I was like, God, I need to find my mother. I need help in here. And that's just one. And you see some ladies with three just chilling. Go here, sit down there, that's normal. We're working, and this is what has happened to us in this day and age. For all our life, we've been taught to be independent. Am I correct by saying that? You need to stop using those training wheels. You need to ride that bike by yourself. You need to go to school so that you can get a good education, so that you can get what? A good job, so that you can leave my house, the parents say. Get your own space. So we've been taught all through our life to move towards independency. I want you to listen to me today. We have been taught to be independent. And then you become a Christian and God says, no, I want you to be dependent. And you know what happens? For all your life you've been trained to be independent. No, you have a tug of war with God. God, you're saying I've got to trust you in everything? Yes, sweetheart, everything. When you mean every single thing? Yes, everything. You mean I can't do nothing of my own? No, everything you've got to do has got to be ordained by me, for it is the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, God that wills you to do his good pleasure, Philippians 2, 13. God is saying, you've got to depend on me. Today, the biggest problem we have is being able to depend on God because we've been so accustomed to do it ourselves. We have a problem waiting on God. God, you're taking too slow. I've got to handle this thing on my own. So in the last days, Matthew says the man who's going to come and says, have we not cast out demons in your name? We've done all this, Jesus. He's still going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. What's wrong with that? I hear it. I hear it. No relationship. Right on. No relationship. A relationship is not built overnight. 
Can you imagine how strange my relationship would be with my wife if I wake up every morning and just head out, no conversation? I'm at work, my wife and I, we're texting nonstop, even though we live in the same house and she's coming back home. And that's what God is saying. You've got to be so fond of me. Psalms 37 said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight, be happy in the Lord. The relationship needs to mean something. You check a boy and a girl that just start dating. Text nonstop. Every minute, hey, 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 on the phone. They're fond of each other. They are in love. And Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to be like a little child to have a relationship with me because everything I say goes, whether you like it or not. So you've got to make up your mind. That's what a relationship looks like. You're going to give God total control. I've got to be honest. You can say you don't want Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He gave us a choice to reject or accept. All I'm asking you is to just be honest with yourself. Don't fake it. I'm happy that you're here. I am happy that you're in God's house. But it's coming down to a point that we've got to make a decision. So this, this morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I want to ask this question. If you know that you have not been doing what God asks you to do, and when I say doing, is allowing him to take control, allowing him to do through you. If you're not allowing God, you have not aligned yourself with him. You have not allowed him to take full control. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. Raise your hands. Raise them and put them down. Raise them and put them down. Thank you. So this is the question you need to ask yourself. If God is so loving, why don't we start this relationship with him? And if you have started the relationship with him, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be consistent? Happy to be consistent. So I'm going to ask Elder Williams, Elder Les, to come, to come up, up front. Come up front. I want you to look at these two elders. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to call you up. I want you to look at these two guys. After the message, I prayed about this thing. And the Holy Spirit said not to make an altar call for anyone to come up here. We're talking about relationships now. And God is saying, if you decide that you want to be active here at the University SDA Church, these two brothers... They know how to get you activated. These two servants of God know how to get you in the game. These two men of God knows what direction to point you so that you can be prepared for when Jesus comes. Look at them. Stay right there, elders. So I want to let you know that Jesus is coming soon. And as I started with a song, the song is still on my mind. Jesus is coming again. He's coming like the glory of the morning. On the wave. His wisdom to the mighty. His honor to the brave. So the world shall be his footstool. And the soul of wrong his slave. Our God is marching on. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. His truth is marching on. I can't wait to get to heaven. Because see, I have a half-dead praise. And I try my best to praise him. Sometimes as loud as I can. Sometimes as soft as I can. But I praise him anyhow. You see, a praise don't always have to be noise. A praise can sometimes be a still, small voice. That's saying, this is the way walking in it. The Bible says to obey is better than to sacrifice. Because obedience is the highest praise. Can you imagine a, wife, a life that is patterned and following God? 
how much praising you are doing because you're leaving a trail behind you for people to say there is something different about this man or woman. What a way to praise God. So as you leave God's house this morning, I'm going to pray with you that your life will be a trailblazer's life. That anywhere you go in these communities that men will know that there's something different about you. I'm going to pray for University Adventist Church that they will start visiting each other. I'm not talking about visit to do Bible study. I'm talking about just stopping by a brother or sister just to see how they're doing. Because I've learned is that in the week that the devil attacks most and people become their weakest. And they just need a word from the Lord. And God wants to use you as the word. I know sometimes it's, it's 20 minutes of a, of a drive. But can you imagine when you leave that sister or brother house how you will be revived? And how that person will be revived? I'm saying that because I want us to become so close-knitted. That when God says, this is the way, walk, that many of us won't be afraid. Because we have our brother and our sister with us. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as I pray. Let us pray. Loving God, you've seen the hands this morning of the people who are saying, God, we just want you to take full control and lead us and guide us. We pray that your spirit will fall afresh upon them. They have risen their hands in your presence to, to declare to you, God, we want to do better. God, it is a tiring experience here on this earth. Things are getting worse and worse. And I pray that you will prepare us for your kingdom, prepare us for heaven. But God, while you're preparing us, help us to help to prepare others as we go there. Help us to evangelize. But most of all, help us to be like Jesus. The songwriter says, be like Jesus. Here's my song. In the home and in the throng, I want to be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. So God, I'm just praying that you will help us to do so. That we will walk like Jesus walked. That we will talk like Jesus talked. And we will have an active, loving relationship with you. But God, I'm saying that somebody here don't even know what it means to have a good relationship. Because they've been treated so badly over these years. That God, they're even afraid to have a relationship with you. So those some are asking you to do something special for God, you just lead them in a way that they will understand who you are. We pray, dear God, that our people will start reading your word so that they will understand who you are. So God, they will not be so caught up with signs of the times that they will be caught up in Jesus Christ and him crucified. God wants you leading us. We don't care what time it is. We know that you're going to lead us into the way of truth. Have your way in this place. I pray that you will bind this church to be a loving, graceful, kind church. The God, just like when I walked in this morning, the deacon grabbed me and hugged me. I pray, dear God, that everyone that comes through these doors will know what a hug feels like, an embrace feels like, would know that there is something different in this place. Holy Spirit, move now. We give you the permission. In Jesus' name, amen.